Welcome to episode 188 of Live Happy Now. This is your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us today for the very last episode of 2018. We're taking a break next week and we'll be back in the new year, but we wanted to leave you with some thoughts on some practices you can use to make 2019 your best year yet. To do that, we're talking with Live Happy CEO Deborah Heise, author of the book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. Let's hear what she says are five ways you can add more joy to your new year. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for coming by again today. It's our last podcast of 2018, so we wanted to make sure we, we go out with a bang. And of course, what better way than to have you on as a guest? Well, you know, it's hard to believe that 2018 is already over. I mean, there's so much that went on this year. It was a really exciting year in general, you know, here <laughs> at Live Happy and just, just a ton of stuff going on. I can't believe it's already the end of the year. And, you know, all the stuff that goes with that that's coming up, including, you know, shopping for the holidays and getting ready to plan next year. It's just crazy that we're already here. Yeah. And, you know, when we started this year, I think a lot of people weren't sure we were going to survive it. There was a lot going on this year in the world. And I think a lot of people have that kind of a fatigue and they're really looking forward to 2019 and how they can make it a fantastic year. Yeah, I think that people tend to forget that there's a lot of stuff going on every year. It just, you know, the focus shifts from one end to another. And, you know, I, I used to, growing up, you know, I, I graduated in a, an even-numbered year. I'm not going to share which one. You know? <laughs> but but for, for whatever reason, I've always had the belief that even-numbered years are better years, which is just, you know, downright silly. But, you know, people go into a year thinking, you know, a year is overwhelming. And the reality is, it's just a step in time, right? I mean, this this month, next month, January 1st is kind of an arbitrary change, but somehow we, we, we attach this huge meaning to it. You know, yeah, it's a time to turn over a new leaf. And I guess that that moment of renewal is upon us. But if those of you who are listening to this in the middle of 2019, because you just got around to it, there's never a bad time to have that renewal moment. So they don't have to wait till the end of 2019 and start for 2020. No, no. And, and 11.59 p.m. on December 31st is probably not the right time to start planning out the next year. <laughs> well, I know that you're big on making the most of, of whether it's a day or the year. And I thought it'd be wonderful to talk about some of the ways that we can go about making 2019 a, a really fantastic year, make it our best year yet. And to do that, I wanted to talk about some of the principles that you use in your book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. I'd love to share some ideas from that. Also, you know, you're right. I do try and make the most of every minute, every day, every hour, which doesn't mean going a million miles an hour every moment. But there is a limited, you know, the one thing when none of us can get more of is time. And none of us actually have an hourglass on our desk either that shows us when we're out of it. So, you know, it really doesn't make any sense to me to not take advantage of what we've been given and, and make the most out of it. And the one thing that we can make the most out of is what we do with our time. Yeah, that's terrific. We get so caught up in what we think we need to do and what we have to do that we forget to just be. We do. And I think we really go off the rails when that happens. We do. And, you know, that kind of, you know, when you talk about the book, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, and, and actually when we talk about Live Happy and how it's changed my life, and, and, and you know, when people ask me, well, what, what has changed your life the most? 
what it is, is, is really the practice of mindfulness. And, you know, we talk about it a lot. And a lot of people think when you say mindfulness, they think meditation, they think, you know, different, different things. But for me, mindfulness is really creating that awareness because awareness leads to engagement. You know, just the practice of being present in your own life, being mindful of the things that are going on around you, being engaged in them and not so worried about, hey, I got to do these 25 other things later today, or I didn't do these 15 things yesterday that I need to get done, or what's the future going to hold? I think a lot of us rush through life forgetting that we're present in our own lives right now, and what we're doing matters to ourselves and to those around us at every moment. So giving yourself permission to be present, whether it's present at the dinner table, you know, actively engaged in conversation, whether it's present in a meeting where you're not on your digital device trying to catch up with your emails while halfway listening to a meeting, do something to become present in the moments you're in. Because if you don't, you're going to look up at some point and you're going to realize you missed everything. You missed your entire life. And you know, one thing that I've learned through Live Happy is really to be able to take that breath and to be mindful. And it can be just for a couple of seconds. And something that I've started doing is when I feel myself racing too much and my mind's racing ahead or I'm thinking about the past, I just take a breath and say, I am. And and that kind of brings you back. And, and that's enough mindfulness to to recenter you. So it doesn't take a, a lot of time or a lot of effort. I love that. I love that. For me, it's organization. It's, you know, to be mindful, I need to be organized. I need to be planned. It's very difficult for me, you know, just who I am. And everybody's different, of course. This is just for me. Who I am, it's very difficult for me to deal with spontaneity if I don't know the things that need to get taken care of or taken care of. So for me, a lot of mindfulness is around organization. It's around making sure perfect th- sense. Making sure the things that need to get taken care of are taken care of so I can enjoy the rest. That's great. That's I love that. That's great advice. So we've got mindfulness. That's a great thing to put on our on our to be list. What else? What's another practice that we can implement to to make twenty nineteen even more fulfilling for us? The practice of connecting with other people, of building connections, of deepening relationships, or of creating relationships. I mean, all of the research that we've looked at at Live Happy over the past five, six, seven years, however long we've been not only doing this, but planning it, really leads to one conclusion, which is that positive relationships, relationships with other people are the one thing that will drive your overall sense of well-being. There's a great study that's referenced in, in, in several different materials, but you know, the study basically says that at the end of their life, 300 men were asked what made a difference in their happiness. And when, when normalized for money, for, you know, for, their, for, their, for their personal you know, financial achievement, their job success, even for health, what it really showed was that unless they'd had meaningful relationships with others in their life, meaningful personal relationships, they just didn't have as much joy. So taking the time to cultivate relationships and be present and be a positive influence in other people's lives and build those meaningful moments with people not just this year, but every year is something that will drive joy into your life. That is something that's a little bit getting trickier, I think, (laughs) because of uh, our connection with our phones and things like that. There's a great quote by Tom Rath that he said out loud at a convention I was at. And uh, Tom Rath is the author of Strikes Finder 2.0. And it's a phenomenal book. 
What he said was the single biggest challenge we may have in the next 10 years is simply paying attention to the person sitting across from us. Wow. That's, that's so true, unfortunately. It is. What you and I are doing right now, talking, this is not the same if it's by text. Right. You know, you text, you go on Facebook. Yeah, there's, there's something to be said about having face-to-face or, or via a phone or a, even FaceTime to actually communicating with people. We build relationships and we need to take the time to be around people. You know, Barbara Fredrickson's book, Love 2.0, talks about it quite a bit when she goes into micro-connections and what it yes. does and, and how, how it improves your overall well-being because it limits your cortisol when you have a positive interaction with someone. That digital positive reaction doesn't have the same impact on your body, right? And it increases oxytocin, same thing. You know, getting a text from somebody doesn't necessarily increase your oxytocin the same as sitting, sitting having coffee with them, and if the, even if they but say the same words. But it can raise your blood pressure. It can raise your blood pressure. There is that very much. And it raises a lot of people's blood pressure. But taking the time to engage with people in the real world, not the digital world, and and taking the time to build some depth is is something that we should all invest in all the time. So after connecting better, what's another practice you'd recommend for us? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, we're talking about a lot of stuff. One of the characteristics a lot of people have, including myself, is our ability to beat ourselves up about what we didn't do. Or, you know, even listening to myself talk, I'm like, yeah, I talk about this, but I need to do more of it. You know, and we have a tendency to focus on our failures. We have a tendency to focus on what we can't do or what we didn't do. And all of that is counterintuitive to building one of our greatest tools for success, which is building our own resilience. You can only go as far as the opportunities you're willing to take. You know, you can't get any farther than if you, if you don't choose to try the job, you're never going to succeed in the job. If you don't accept the date, you're never going to have the relationship. <laughs> you know, there's a whole lot of choices we make which close doors. And I think we make a lot of those choices based off the fact that we're not by nature resilient people. We have a great fear of failure. We have a great fear of rejection. And to overcome that fear, you actually need to engage in building your own resilience. And part of building that resilience is failure. You know, you can't bounce back if you never fall down. Yeah, nobody really learns much from victory. No. There, there isn't a 20-year-old soccer team around that can't beat a six-year-old soccer team, okay? So, <laughs> but they aren't going to learn much from that other than maybe they need to watch where they step a little bit more. But I mean, you're just not, you don't really learn that much from success, but you do learn a lot from failure, including how to build your resilience. And part of building your resilience is recognizing that you've had successes before in the same realm. You know, it, it's, I mean, how many people do we know that just say, I'm really bad at math, right? I'm one of those people. Okay. Yeah. Right. But you've managed to make change before. Right. Okay. You've probably managed to balance your checkbook before. Once or twice. Once yeah. or twice. Okay. So it has, it has happened. These are little victories, which is like, well, I may not know a lot of math, but I can learn math. And if I need to learn it, if I need to understand it, I can build on that skill because I've had some victories. You know, so a lot of it, a lot of building your own resilience is recognizing that you probably are more successful in areas that you consider yourself weak than you realize. You've probably had more success then you understand. Building your resilience is build on your victories that you've had, forgive yourself for the mistakes you've made, learn to laugh at them, 
learn that you're not perfect, learn to move on. And then the third piece about building your resilience, and this is really important for a lot of people, and it's important for me, is have a workout partner. You know, have somebody that when you just feel like you can't succeed or you just feel like the hurdle's too big or you wonder if it's worth taking the risk, have that person that you just want to, that, that you could feel like you can talk to and confide in. But you need a workout partner. You need someone that you can talk things through with, that you trust their, you trust their intuition, you trust their opinion, you, you, you're in it together, so to speak. And that might be your spouse. It, it might be your best friend from high school. It might be somebody at the office. It might be your mentor. It, you know, it could be anybody in your life, but you don't have to go it alone. All of us will encounter crippling issues that make us not want to go on at some point, but you don't stop. Life goes on whether you choose to participate or not. So building that skill set, getting through it is, is, is key to having a great year. Whatever it is this year that you want to let go of, let go of it. What are you going to do next year? So we've got mindfulness, we've got connection, we've got resilience. And these are all three. They, they, we're already in a good spot. Like to, Those are three great things to, to focus on for 2019. Do you have a couple more that we can talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about one that is, I think, elusive and critically important for many of us, which is meaning. You have to find meaning in your life. If you feel like your life is purposeless, or you feel like you're meant to do something and you're not doing it, it's very difficult to have a lot of joy in your life. Now, all of us have, not all of us, but most of us have jobs. All of us have responsibilities. But do we have meaning in our life? Figuring out why you're spending your time doing what you're doing is very important. Now, people think purpose and meaning are the same thing. For me, they're not. Purpose is kind of like, I was put on earth to do this purpose, for this purpose. And if you're looking for a purpose, oh my goodness, that's a, that's a large goal. Meaning is something else. So there's a couple examples that I've used when I've talked about meaning before. One of them is finding meaning in your work. Now, meaning in your work, let's say you're an accountant. Okay, so what's the purpose of being an accountant? Well, it's to get all the numbers right and to show the financial success and be, provide financial guidance to the company and all of these things. But what's the meaning in your work? Well, sometimes you could just like doing accounting, which is great. But if you can attach a greater meaning to that, you're going to find more joy in what you're doing. So let's say you work for a company like Live Happy. And the meaning you derive from being an accountant for Live Happy is that Live Happy is giving people the tools that they need to make create a happier life for themselves. So if you look at, I, by doing the accounting, can, and who's ever working for Live Happy doing our accounting, you can take this advice. No, <laughs> by doing our accounting, <laughs> our, the accounting for Live Happy, am helping to promote a happier world. And I deeply believe that people need the ability to bring more joy and happiness into the world. So there is definitely a, a, a way that you can attach a meaning to that. Finding the meaning in what you're doing will make what you're doing all the more enjoyable. Believe me, there's always things you don't want to do. There's always jobs you don't want to do. There's always things affiliated. Nobody really wants to change dirty diapers, right? <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> but if you're, if you're meaning, if you derive meaning from raising children, if you derive meaning from what you're doing, you're just going to find more joy in it. And it gets you through the tough tasks. Yeah, it absolutely changes how you view the things that you have to do. It does. 
You got one more. I get one we'll more. All close right. with get one more. You got to make it big, big finish here. <laughs> what's what's our our fifth practice that we can implement for 2019 to to have a better year? Well, I know a lot of our listeners are already doing this, but I do think that the number one way that we can share joy, spread happiness, and really improve our world around us is by giving back. And I don't just oh, yeah. mean money. I mean time. I mean listening. I mean being that friend. Spending your time giving back. First of all, we know the studies all show that it rewards you, that your your personal well-being is improved by giving back. We know that. Um, but we also know that when you share happiness, when you share with someone else, the likelihood that they're going to continue to give back or that they're going to choose to give back is greatly increased. You know, giving back makes a difference in the world. I mean, my view is we all have, you know, we all have a responsibility to the world around us, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. I also believe that we've all got gifts. We all have gifts and passion and we all have things that other people are looking for that we can share. Take the time to give back to somebody, whether it's by being a mentor, whether it's through a financial contribution, whether it's by uh, being, being part of a charity, whether it's, you know, through community work at your church, whether it's, uh, you know, at the hospital, you know, being, you know, just going around and, and being, being nice to people, <laughs> pick up litter, <laughs> clean up the front yard, but take a, make a concerted effort to give back to the world around you because the world will give you back more than you could ever give. And once you start that practice, you realize what an abundant world we live in. I mean, one of, one of my biggest frustrations is the mindset of scarcity. When you encounter mm -hmm. someone who feels like to win, somebody else has to lose. That, that's frustrating to me. This is a world of abundance because somebody else got the job of their dreams does not mean you cannot have the job of yours. Because somebody else, you know, grabbed the brass ring doesn't mean there's not a brass ring available for you. It is not, life for the most part is not a competition. There is no winner. <laughs> this is a world yeah. of abundance. There's plenty for everybody, but people have to take the time to give and share what they have. I'm going to go a little biblical on you. Don't take this. <laughs> nobody, please, nobody be offended. But you know, the story of the loaves and the fishes. Yes. It, it wasn't about the little boy who shared. It was about the fact that there was enough for everybody, right? Right. There's enough for everybody if you just look and share. So giving back makes a huge difference in the world. It makes a huge difference in your life. And, and I've seen people change remarkably simply by opening themselves up to the possibility they can help somebody else. When you invest the time, you get so much back. It really can change your life. And it can change the lives of people around you because when you're uplifted that way, it's easy for other people to, to, to see it and to start feeling that way too. So, I mean, really giving back is something that will always change your life. Well, Deborah, once again, you've given us a lot to think about. And if people want to know more about these practices and five more, they can pick up your book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, which can be found on the Live Happy website as well as on Amazon.com. Slight plug there. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the plug. And for those of you who haven't read the book, keep in mind that this book is filled with specific practices around these, you know, 
Paula and I are talking. Now, Paula and I are uh, journalists. We're not, neither one of us are scientists. So we read all this stuff and share what, how it works in our own life. And we, 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 we quote some scientists and we talk about stuff. But this book has the scientific background around why these things work and they do work. But it's not just a scientific research book. It also has, you know, I think 42 stories of people who have put these practices into action in their own lives. So it's got things you can do, the why it works, for those of you who have to know why it works, and then it's got stories of people who have done this stuff, and it actually worked for them. So it really is, it's a quick read, you can read three minutes a day and get through this book. That was Live Happy CEO Deborah Heise, author of Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, which you can find on our website at livehappy.com, on Amazon, or in your favorite bookstore. We're proud to announce that we're now part of the Pandora Podcast Network, so you can find us on the Pandora mobile app for Apple and Android phones. And as always, you can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcast, search for Live Happy Now, and subscribe today so you'll never miss an episode. That's all we have time for this year, so please join us back here January 1st for a brand new episode. Until then, this is Paula Phelps wishing you a joyful holiday season and reminding you to make every day a happy one.